Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Our mission is to use laughter and conversation to inform and inspire. For us, self-care and advocacy go hand in hand. We want you to be your best you so together we can build more inclusive communities. Welcome to the show. Hi, amigos. Brenda here. This week on Tamarindo, we are revisiting a very special episode where Anna Shayla shared her coming out story and tells us a bit about her relationship to her queer identity. Before we get into it, we want to remind you to register for True Stories and Vivo happening June 10th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. This live Zoom event will feature stories about identity, hyphens, and names featuring poet and screenwriter Melissa Lozado Oliva, writer and comedian Ingrid Cruz, writer and educator Tony Pertus Mesa, and writer Sorur Amigi. Plus your host Tamarindo and the Nacionia with media sponsorship by Hip Latina. Register for free on our website at tamarindopodcast.com. Once again, this is happening on Thursday, June 10th at 5 p.m. Pacific time and it's completely free. This event is an example of the free or low-cost events and conversations that we host at Tamarindo as part of our mission. You can support our work with a contribution by visiting tamarindopodcast.com forward slash support. Now let's revisit this awesome conversation that first aired Pride 2019 and which is one of my favorites. On this episode of Tamarindo, we introduce you to a new segment called Calma Moment, and then I let Brenda ask me anything she's wanted to ask her queer Latinx friend as we celebrate Pride Month. So, Ana Sheila, how are you? How's it been? I'm doing so great. Feel very uplifted, very positive right now. Just had a wonderful weekend. Yeah, it's Pride in LA. I know. I love it. We're gonna get right into it, and that's true. It, it was recently Pride, so there's lots to celebrate, and that's gonna be the focus of today's episode. But before we dive into all of that, I do want to take a a minute because if you follow Tamarindo the podcast on our socials, we often use our Insta stories to ha- elevate important issues that are happening to our community, and something that's been occupying a lot of the new space lately has been just a, I mean, what I would call a list of horrors when it comes to our immigration situation. So I'm just going to list a couple things here. So according to Raices, which is the largest immigrant legal service provider in Texas, 13,000 children are currently locked up, which is their words, for seeking a safe haven in the United States, spending an average of 48 days, although some of them can spend some months behind bars for no other sin than for wanting to search for a better life. This is the most immigrant children locked up in the history of the U.S. So that's very, very concerning. And then something else, NBC News writes that there have been 24 immigrant deaths in ICE custody during the Trump administration, which is just ridiculous. Terrible. Terrible. And then according to Refinery29, Johanna Medina Leon, a transgender asylum seeker from El Salvador, died Saturday after being held for six weeks at a private ICE detention center in New Mexico. And this is a detention center that had previously faced allegations of, a, of abusing LGBTQ detainees. So I think it's uh, a, a good time to take pause for just a moment 
as the, because I know all of you that listen to this show, that follow us, you know how important this issue is to us. And as, as we think about pride, we also think about what our LGBTQ brothers and sisters escaping certain death from certain countries are facing at the hands of our own government. So it's it's been something that's been very heavy and we've all been, I'm sure, grappling with it. And speaking for myself, and I'm sure, and Sheila, you can relate, it's been very, very heavy for many months. In fact, I think if you've been a longtime listener of Tamarindo, in a, in a certain way, we've sort of moved a little bit away from a lot of the heaviness just because it's been so difficult. But we wanted to bring it back and just just list those moments for you all because I, I, I it's been consuming me and I wanted to lift it up because Ana Sheila, something that we're really excited to include in Tamarindo is some strategies and ways that we can sort of help navigate that heaviness that is the news. So with that, if it's okay with you, Ana Sheila, will you tell our listeners about what we're hoping to start including in episodes? Yes, of course, Brenda. So today we're introducing Calma Moments. So we've had in the past retos, and so retos will fill a part of that. And so what Calma Moment is, are different strategies to kind of help us live more intentionally, to help us be mindful, to help us get through some of the day-to-day stressors and things that we have to deal with, with a little bit more to reflect on, to kind of help us get through it in a more positive or more mindful or more healthy or generally more healthy way. So Love that's it. the idea behind Calma Moments. And what they're going to be is going to be a short, it could be another reto that we're encouraging our listeners to try out. Uh, it could be just a reflection. It could be a tip. Um, so it could be a, a, a lot of different things that will just help you live more mindfully and more in, in a more healthy way. Essentially, I love it. I love it. So, what do we have for? What do you have for me today, Anna Sheila? As I've been kind of feeling a lot of anxiety as I listen to the news, right, Brenda? So, I think it can be really tough, especially as Latinos, to cope with a lot of the news because, unfortunately, many of the policies and the uncertainty that we're feeling today affects can affect us directly. If and if not us, our communities directly. Right. Yeah. Right. So, how do we cope with this type of feeling? or stress. So the first thing that you might want to do is stop reading or watching any news. And that's actually something that I've done in the past because I started to notice it affect my, my well-being. So, um, but at the same time, we often feel guilty about doing that again, because we feel like if we don't do nothing, if we ignore it, then we are taking the side of the oppressor. And so what I want to, what I want us to do today is first, let's take a, let us take stock of exactly how are you engaging with the news, Right. Are you getting stuck in a, in a rabbit hole that where you read an article and then you read another one that essentially that says the same thing and then you start to kind of get yourself deeper into a, a hole of feeling, you know, overwhelmed or stressed out or depressed yes. about the state of... The answer is yes. <laughs> Guilty right, as so, <laughs> so what I would say is like, first kind of think about how you're, how you're engaging with the news. Is that next article something that's going to help you be able to take uh, action in a positive way or is it just sending you down deeper into that hole? And so if you're noticing that it's actually affecting your, your well-being, then I would say stop right there. Mm-hmm. And then one option would be maybe taking a, a, a break for a day or two days from the news and then figuring out how you can cope best, better with the news or so that you can actually read our articles or, that actually help you take the type of action that you want to take. And so one tip that I would recommend is journaling. 
Oh, I like that. Do you journal at all right now, Brenda? I don't. I guess I use Twitter, but I should, I should, I don't, twi- I don't journal, but maybe this so, is a strategy. Yeah. Try. So what I re- recommend is when you're starting to feel the stress of so much uncertainty and so much tough news to, to read, take out a pencil and, and paper as opposed to doing it on your phone or on your computer to really kind of get break, off the screen, get off the screen yeah. where you're reading all of this info and actually take some time to write down how you're actually feeling about what you're reading. So that actually helps you. Processing your emotions through writing actually helps you uh, process them better. And it also helps you have an instant stress relief by putting your feelings and your thoughts, taking them out of your brain and putting them on paper. So, I absolutely love this. And let me tell you why. <laughs> one, yes, because so it's a good tip. But secondly, and one day we should talk about this, but I actually mm-hmm. had my Zodiac map read. Mm-hmm. And I was provided that same strategy that that a person like me could could tend to kind of hold that anxiety in, but writing it out is a way to let it out. So yes. reinforce. Thank and you. And then what I would add is like, you know, as a bonus, after you write down how you feel, write down what are a few, maybe three to five things that you're really thankful in your life. And these can be really small things or big things. It can be your family or it can be your cup of coffee that you had in the morning. So take a moment to write those down because Writing down things that you're thankful for actually changes your your mindset and helps you feel better right away. Well, actually, now that you've brought that up, um, I'm going to sneak in and matraca early. Yeah. Because one thing that I recently experienced is I had the opportunity to go to San Diego and visit a migrant shelter Mm-hmm. Or, that is um, operated by a collaborative, a community-based organizations that have been working with immigrants for many years. This includes the ACLU and Jewish Family Services and a number of Latino-led nonprofits. And I, I did, considering all the heaviness of the news, I did find the experience of seeing how organizations can come together, even though they had no financial resources for this type of rapid response that they were providing to immigrants that were literally dumped by ice in Greyhound stations, sometimes a hundred at a time. What I saw was that these organizations came together. They found the, uh, the, through volunteers and just talking to each other, they were able to find these families. They get for the first time, they get a nutritious meal. They get water. That's not full of chlorine. They get, a change of underwear, you know, they, some of these families had, have traveled many time, many weeks with the same clothes. They get a welcoming message. I walked around the space and there was wel- welcome, a very welcoming, warm message. And the families are provided with legal aid so that they can find their family within the United States. These are, these are families that have an asylum case. And also they're provided sometimes with the financial resources because in some cases the family member, these folks are coming into San Diego, their family member might be in Tampa, Florida. And this mm-hmm. agency is helping them get there. So I found that experiencing that and and honing in on that versus the heaviness of the news and actually writing that down in preparation for today's episode was really uplifting. So I thank you. Right. I think you're so, right on. Yeah. And, and that's a good point about balance. It's like, how can we balance the amount of, you know, tough news with inspiring stories that, you know, being aware of all the things that organizations are doing for this cause. So making sure we have a good balance of, um, you know, articles that are, that are providing us more information about what's going on, as well as sources of positive news where you can see that there are so many organizations that are really trying to, to make a difference. I love it. I love it. So to summarize, take a break from the news. Um, look for hopeful stories that have maybe a call to action so that you mm-hmm. feel a little more power. Yeah, so you can really kind of fuel your energy into the the, the, the ways that you want to make uh, a change. I love that. And then maybe write down how you're feeling so that you can kind of find an escape for that anxiety. 
Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you. And I hope, listeners, that you like these Calma moments and that we'll, we'll bring some more of these moving forward. Thank yes, you, Ana Sheila. You're welcome. Planned Parenthood asked me to show someone how I see them, like really see them. So this ad is dedicated to none other than you, Anna Shayla. I see you, how compassionate you are. I see the way you care and the way you do so much to empower the LGBTQ community and beyond. I see your vulnerability as a strength, your fun sense of humor, and your ability to see the positive side of things. I see you as someone that is genuine and authentic, and I feel very lucky to get to see you, the real you. Aww, thank you, Brenda. Mi corazoncito. <laughs> That's so sweet. So Planned Parenthood sees you, truly sees you, not as patients, but as people, deserving of understanding and compassionate quality health care and education. And they understand the importance of having access to that care so you can define exactly where you're going. Visit www.bscene.org to learn more about how Planned Parenthood is here to see you become who you will be. That's www.bscene.org. Now, to move on to today's focus, which is about pride, um, I would love for our listeners to first hear very, very brief history of, of how it is that we came up to celebrate pride. You got it, Brenda. So according to the Human Rights Campaign, originally pride was solely a political demonstration to voice LGBTQ demands for equal rights and protections. More and more parades and demonstrations appeared in New York and across the U.S. during the AIDS epidemic. It was not until 1991 that pride began to resemble what it is today, a celebration of queer life and sexuality, in addition to the political and social demonstration that it continues to, to be. That's so cool. And you had a chance to go to LA Pride. What was that like? I did. Yeah. So Saturday I went to Dyke Day. Have you heard of Dyke Day before? I have not heard of Dyke Day, but it so, sounds awesome. Yeah. So Dyke Day is basically a day at the park on Saturday for people that... Um, identify with any type of female identity. So that could be trans, that could be lesbian, that could be whatever fem feminine identity is to you. If you relate with that, it's kind of, it's, it's for that community, but of course other people are welcome, but that is a primary community that this event is for. Very cool. Yeah. So it was just beautiful to have a space that was really kind of more feminine and it's an, and it's an identity and, and having that space because we often, even in the, in the gay world, a lot of times women or, or people with any type of feminine identity, we still don't have as much of a, a space just for us. It, it, it generally is still led by, by men. So misogyny is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it was just, it was just beautiful to see that and just how generous and, open and happy everyone was like we were walking around and we didn't bring apparently you're supposed to bring your own shade and tents to, to protect from the, the sun and people were a got, hot day yes hot and weekend. people got there early and we didn't we did not have a real group and we were just walking around and then we ran into a friend who just said come over to our tent we didn't really know them that well but we literally just had a shade and tent and they were just so open and welcoming it was this, i love those vibes and those carried on through through sunday so i went to the parade for a little bit and it's just so beautiful to see people being a full expression of themselves without worrying about judgment without worrying about needing to hide a little part of you which i feel like oftentimes members of the of the community we always feel like we have to hide a little part of ourselves in different situations 
situation. So it's so wonderful to just be freely yourself. I love it. It sounds fantastic. Well, I missed it this year. I've gone in the past to Pride. It's so much fun. But bummer that I missed it. But it, it's so great that you had an opportunity to go. So in this episode, we're going to elevate your experience as a queer Latinx lady um, by kind of talking a little bit about your experience and, and maybe in the way these questions are asked, they're sort of sort of the, the type of questions that maybe it's almost like think of this as like ask a lesbian. <laughs> Where these are questions that Brenda, your your straight ally friend, gets the opportunity to talk to you, and then by virtue of our conversation, we hopefully um, educate and illuminate some some experiences for our listeners today. I love it because. Uh- I, I wish people, you know, friends of mine would ask me questions more often. And I think a lot of times maybe people are not comfortable asking certain questions and, and you know, and I think that we should feel comfortable doing that with our friends. So I am glad that we have this opportunity today, Brenda. Yes, and all of you get to listen in. So it's fantastic. So let's start with something that I think a lot of folks might want to learn about, which is tell us a little bit about your, your coming out experience with your family, especially. And, and what was that like? Yeah. So I hope I don't cry when I share this. <laughs> That's the hard part. I know. That's the heaviest question. No, I'm not going to cry. Um, yeah. So I knew probably since I was like 13 or so, but I remember write, reading a journal entry where I was kind of grappling with it, but I kind of stayed in the closet till I was about 24. So I was in the wow. closet for about 10 years. And finally I got to a point where it became more and more clear that I, you know, I thought I used to think that I was bi and that I could just kind of, um, I'll just be with men and I can ignore that part of me. And then I got to a point where I realized that I actually was much preferred women and that, that I wasn't going to be fulfilled if I didn't, you know, go over to the other side. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was who you are. And so, yeah. And so I, I decided to tell my mom, I had come out with some friends maybe a year before that. And I was moving from SF to LA and so my mom came up to the bay to pick me up and gather all my things in, in our van and move down to LA. And so I told her on that drive, because I had been really putting it off and putting it off. And I just realized I have to do this because, you know, it, the the burden was, was weighing down on me. So I decided that I was going to tell her on the drive, but I was going to wait till we got close wow. to the end yeah, because I didn't... it'd be a long drive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think I waited until maybe like 30 minutes before we got home. And I said, you know, I'm coming to this point in my life where I really want to live my life for me and not live my life to make others happy. And in the past, I've, you know, I've been living my life in a way where I was making others happy and not myself. And she's like, and then she asked me what I I meant by that. And so I said, well, (laughs) Mm. um, I'm gay and it's something that I've known for a long time. And you know, her reaction was in complete disbelief. You know, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, oh yeah, I totally could have called that miles away. But I had been trying to express myself in a more feminine identity, I think, to kind of overcompensate what I knew already. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people can guess that right right away. So my mom at first, she thought that maybe... I was confused or that, you know, she said, I wish we could have, you could have told me earlier, we could have helped you. So just um, not really didn't really believe that it that it was true and and was just kind of in shock. And so it didn't go as well as I had hoped, but it also didn't go as poorly as it could have, right? So, you know, I I was scared that because we were somewhat religious that, you know, my mom, even though, you know what, when I'm thinking back, my mom would never have said something like this, but thinking like, what if she like kicked me out or said that I was going to hell or something, you know, that, that can happen in, in more extreme situations. So I was really thankful for that, but it, 
but it was it was tough. And so we got home and it was just really awkward for two weeks in the house. Like we couldn't really, we weren't really talking. And it was just, I didn't want to, I was scared to bring it up again. And I'm, I'm sure she was experiencing the same thing. And then finally, two weeks went by and she came into my room and then she just shared something about a colleague of hers that was that was a lesbian and she shared something about how her colleague and her girlfriend or partner were doing something. And it was just like such a random story that there was no reason she needed to tell me that other than I think that that was her coming to terms with it and wanting to show me that she was okay with it. And this was kind of her little dip into letting me oh, know. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I feel very grateful that it, that it didn't go the way that it goes for, for a lot of Latinx kids you know, and so from there, each person was hard, each additional person was really hard to tell. So my mom actually ended up ended up telling my dad because I couldn't do it. Because mm-hmm. in the past, I had heard him say some homophobic things, I think primarily about men. So I think that it was easier that it was me and not my brother. But eventually he brought it up with me and, and you know, was supportive. Um, but I don't know what kind of process he had to get to the point where he could then approach me. And then after that, my extended family, we started telling my extended family. But yeah, that's a, you know, thank you for thank you for telling us, and I know that means you know being vulnerable in this podcast world and all our listeners. So <laughs> I I appreciate hearing that story, and it's it's I think it's interesting because I as we're all learning to to be more you know it's this it's all a process and a journey of being more accepting and and language mm-hmm. has changed even in the last five years yeah. ten years you know the, yeah this evolution I think about my my parents who I view are I view as progressive. And thinking of, it was just so, it's been such a common as a Mexican, a Mexican dad or Mexican person, uh, male, it's such a common thing to say homophobic comments yeah. about men, especially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now they're starting to, oh, shoot, I guess they're starting to check themselves, which yeah. I think is, is a, there's no, it's be really beautiful about. to see the progression of, of, you know, our community. Yeah, the progression. I love that. So kind of moving forward, and I, and, and I know you've shared with me that, that, and you've actually shared with the listeners when we talked about identity, it's been, it is and continues to be an evolution yeah. and getting, being more comfortable in our own skin. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe, maybe an experience, like maybe your first time feeling pretty comfortable now out, maybe, maybe it's like the first time you went to a gay club or the first time you asked a girl out. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, the first time I went out, so I didn't really have any gay friends when I decided like, okay, I'm really gay and I need to start going to things and I didn't have any friends and so I did but I decided to go to a gay bar by myself just by yourself (laughs) just by myself and and this was when I lived in San Francisco and so I showed up to this place in the mission and the mission is is a very accepting community and it was I felt so awkward because I had never seen this all the different uh, expressions of uh, of lesbians and bisexual women and all these women and expressing themselves in in such different ways. I hadn't been around that before, so I felt so awkward. And I remember being hit on for the first time and like not knowing what to do at oh all. Oh my god! I can only <laughs> but imagine. I just kind of like suffered through it, or I wouldn't say suffered, but I just felt so uncomfortable that first time. But I stayed. I ended up staying there and like making friends, and it was just. You know, it was nice. I was like, okay, I, I can do this. But I was terrified before I walked into this bar. Oh, my gosh. Well, something that, I, that I've come to know about you that yeah. I really admire is that you, you confront your fears. 
And yeah. so you were like, you know what, I'm going to go by myself and just tackle it and just yeah. do it. Yeah, well, it's because like, otherwise, you know, at this point, I've been waiting so many years. It's like, I have to take that first step so that it can open up more doors for me to try new things, like go on a date. Yeah. Well, tell us about your first date. (laughs) My first date. So I actually went on match.com because again, I didn't know a lot of gay people. And so I went on there and I found someone and we went on a date and we went to Dolores Park, which is in the mission. And I remember we kissed on the first date. (laughs) (laughs) Which is totally fine. No, totally. But it was just funny because I was like, oh my God, like I'm kissing a girl. (laughs) And I was trying to play it cool because she had obviously been out for a very, a very long time. And it was my first time. Oh, so it was your first kiss with a girl was on your first, first date? First real kiss. Like I had kissed a friend before, but it wasn't. But didn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's awesome. This was my That's first. So cool. Yeah. And so I remember just being like, oh my God, like I felt like a little girl, even though I was like in my mid twenties, but you know, it's like I was experiencing whatever everyone experiences when they're like, whatever, however old people are, 13 or younger, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I remember just it was solidified. I'm like, oh man, like I'm really gay. Like, this, <laughs> you know, yeah, because I think in the past I had thought, you know, like I said, I thought maybe I was more bi or something like that, and I realized I had definitely had a stronger preference for women at that point, and it was kind of like, <gasps> like the angels started singing. Yeah, it's like I felt this, like I <laughs> like, like, this fulf- like this is what like love can feel like, and even though obviously that wasn't love, but just like what what that experience felt like it showed me what how fulfilling how much how much more fulfilling i found being being with a woman in, in any in, you know what i mean in any, ca- in any capacity <laughs> <laughs> that's so yeah. cool it didn't yeah. work out but <laughs> but it was yeah, you know it served its purpose which yes. is to make you feel like affirmed right so yeah. that's good that's good now um i want to ask you so one thing that's really exciting about today and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about vida and we've talked about other shows that we like that that really have elevated queer Latinx experiences. So as we see more and more representation of LGBTQ characters in media, I think it's helping to expand the notion of what a romantic partnership can be beyond that heteronormative representation that normally dominates. Mm-hmm. So that said, I think there's still questions that mainstream the mainstream sometimes has about roles in gay relationships. And yeah. this is probably because we many people have that heteronormative point of reference. But speaking from your experience, like what are some of the, how have the traditional quote unquote gender roles manifested in your relationships mm-hmm. or do they? Yeah, it's so interesting. And it's been such a journey for me in that way, because I think for a lot of us in the LGBTQ community is we, a lot of us draw from what we see in the hetero world. So I think that sometimes influences how our relationships play out. Like a lot of times you see, uh, and I'm speaking about uh, women or or people that identify um, fe- feminine. Um, we sometimes want to still have those same kind of hetero roles. And, and you see that a lot of times, a lot more with um, sometimes when you have more, more of like a dynamic, like a mask, a more clearly masculine feminine dynamic, you still see some relationships trying to have like a more dominant versus kind of submissive role. Mm-hmm. But so you definitely still have that. And we're still informed by that. And I think that we still have to break through a lot of those you know, negative things that we learn from, 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 from heteronormative. Yeah. Literally everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. That we're, we're all, I think that whether we're we're gay or straight, we're still trying to break from a lot of the negative things that we've learned from traditional heteronormative relationships. Right. That are based in patriarchy and, and all that. But I think what's, what's really cool about, um, you know, queer and gay relationships is that I think that it's, 
oftentimes a little bit easier for us to create that whatever dynamic we want to, you know, so I've been able to kind of let go of some of those things like, oh, I need to be a more because in the past, I wanted to be the kind of more dominant partner, I was like a little bit assuming that more masculine role. And I just started to kind of, well, you know what, I don't, that doesn't need to be my experience. And I can kind of break those, whatever thoughts that I used to have about what a relationship needs to be. And we can kind of create the type of relationship that we want to. And I think that because we're not hetero, that I think sometimes it is a little bit easier to create our own dynamic, which is, which I think is, is really cool. I think that is really cool. That's a, a, a interesting perspective that you bring up. Um, and and um, as most of our listeners, we're all probably older millennials, and as more and more on the traditional back on back to that traditional gender roles, mm-hmm. you know, more more women are in college, m- more and more women and men earn the same. So a lot of these bullshit traditional roles are just baloney. But I love that one of the one of the because it's so already non traditional, right? Unquote, exactly. You have even more of a of a, a blank slate mm-hmm. to paint. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. Now, um, speaking a little bit more too about today, you know, what makes you hopeful about about from when you looking at when you first came out to where we are now, two thousand nine, and like I mentioned, two thousand nineteen. Oh yeah, shoot. <laughs> what year is it? Two thousand nineteen. Think about two thousand nine and two thousand nineteen <laughs> over the years. Like, what makes you hopeful about? What we're, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm hopeful seeing more of these LGBTQ experiences represented, especially actually I just went to go see Booksmart, which was fantastic. Everybody go see Booksmart, which centers two female leads, one of them, which is queer. Mm-hmm. Anyways, is there anything about today or even thinking about the generation that's younger than us that makes you hopeful about the LGBTQ community? Yeah, totally. I mean, the obvious one is just the the greater freedom that we have to express our full identities. I think in the past, even we kind of felt like we needed to identify with a particular label more so, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm lesbian or I'm bi or I'm all these things. And I think that our younger generation, um, for example, like a few years ago, I don't think that we were talking so much about a nine binary identity, yeah. right? So yeah. I think that that's something that's been brought on by the younger generation that I think is really cool. So just kind of this evolution of identity that's much more open and less, less binary and less defined, I think is really, is kind of what I'm really hopeful about because I think that it can only be positive for us to get rid of a lot of those identities that are often very limiting. So for example, for myself, um, that's something I think that, and, and for all people in, 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 in this community, you have an evol- your identity kind of shifts as you discover more and more about yourself. And, you know, I started off calling myself bi and then lesbian. And then now I use the, the term queer. And the reason I really like the, the term queer is because I feel that it's very inclusive without having to choose a particular without having to let people know like if you have other labels that you go by or that you identify as it can be helpful but you kind of get to choose when you if you want to use a different label because which I think is awesome because a lot of times if you share an identity with someone then they'll you know they'll wreck their brain for what they know about oh this is what I know about lesbians this is what I know about bisexual people and make assumptions or thoughts about what that means and it's so awesome to just be able to use a word like queer that people kind of know but like don't really know it's just all inclusive of all different types of identities and I think that that's really powerful 
Yeah. And, and also, also like helps you feel more safe too, as someone in that community that there's like less that you have to expect people to respond to or have feelings about, et cetera. And is it, I mean, in, in, as you're saying this, is this because queer also isn't necessarily assigned to a gender? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just complete. it's like very all-inclusive. I love that. Okay, mm-hmm. very cool. Is there another question that your straight friends tend to ask you that I haven't asked you yet? So I think that you covered a lot of the questions, you know, people often wonder about different terms, which we spoke about a little bit, as well as relationship dynamics, which we spoke about a little bit. Um, One thing that I wish people didn't ask me, and this is not generally my friends, but rather strangers. uh, So with the past few partners that I've had, people on the street, strangers feel compelled to ask me what the nature of my relationship is. Like they'll ask me if I'm really, if I'm, that's my sister or, you know, some other relation. It's like, and, and it's, I wish people didn't ask me that because in in that moment, first of all, like, why do you feel comfortable asking these strangers what the nature of their relationship is? Right. And, and, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And, and it's, and, and it's tough for me. It's that question is tough for me because it's, I have to choose to then come out to you. Right. Whether I want to come out to you. And oftentimes, like, that's not, you know, we don't feel safe. You don't need to walk yeah, around. Yeah, you don't feel straight. You know what I mean? I'm like, we, there's still a lot of places <laughs> yeah. where we don't feel yeah. safe having to come out. And every time that you, I get asked this question, I have to choose whether or not I come out. Right. And what, how you're, and then have to see how you're going to respond to me coming out to you when I don't care how you respond to me coming out. You know what I mean? Like, Whatever, if it's positive, well, that's great. But if it's negative, like, I, you know, I didn't need to hear that. If you wouldn't have asked that question, then I wouldn't have had to experience that. Yeah. So just being conscious of the fact that when you ask people those questions, that we have to choose whether or not we want to come out. And that doesn't feel great. <laughs> right. And then I think we, some people might have seen recently, there was a, a, a queer couple in the UK. One of them was Latina, by the way, but these two women that were out in public on a bus in the UK, affectionate and out because they were affectionate to each other. Yeah. And some young men decided to harass them and say, oh, why don't you guys kiss? Blah, 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 blah. And, and it got violent. And their their pictures or their images of their bloodied faces is all over social media. So there's also a sort of a unique, I mean, all of us women are, 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 yeah. sub, are unfortunately targets in many ways, but there's a, there's kind of a unique, extra risk that might have might be a another level of danger for you having to come out when when you don't necessarily need to yeah exactly i think is anyone that's like female or feminine identified or at least appearing you know has that extra level of of danger in in the past when i used to go out more you know men would come out and either hit on me or or my girlfriend or, or partner and then even after sharing with them you know, that we're together and having to kind of have that thing like, oh, you guys are, you know, gay or like potentially fetishizing or whatever, then they would then still continue to kind of push like hitting on either one of us. And it's like, did we not just share this with you? It's almost like men feel that they still have this right to still stay in our circle yeah, because okay. they're men and women and it's it's really tough because like what do you do as a as a as a woman right it's like you're trying to set boundaries for yourself but you also are generally not as strong as these men so it's like how can you set these boundaries and have them respect you and it's while like still being safe while still being safe and yeah. so that's something that you know i wish that people were more mindful of, of, of as well just respecting you know, our relationships. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> as we do on the shows, we like to throw things in la basura, person, place, things, concept. I think that's what goes in la basura yeah. for us. 
is is dudes that a have to ask if you're related to your girlfriend and b don't get the hint and continue to harass you. So big basura to homophobia and to any any anyone that feels men that threaten women. Yeah, or yeah, and then you know I just hope that people just you know and, and I think that at least with like the sister like are you guys sisters. I often I'm sure people didn't mean any harm, but just being more mindful of things like that and what that makes us have to do. And, and that said, I still would love, you know, more friends to ask me questions if they have questions, because especially you should be able to ask. And I would l- gladly be able, want to share answers to different things that you might not be aware of. Well, that's you know? why I'm so grateful that you agreed to have this conversation. Yeah, on this, this, podcast, this is big on this for me. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, if there's anything you want to ask, or, yeah. or, or please share this episode if you found it meaningful to you. And lastly, I do want to remind you that we want to increase the number of voices in the podcast space. And I want to invite you to our event one more time, which is July 23rd, 6 to 8, Los Angeles. Look at our uh, link in our bio on our Instagram, as well as the notes for this episode to to get your tickets. Thank you so much, Anishela. You're welcome. All right. We'll hear you all very soon. And uh, as I like to say, (laughs) Bye. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music and Michelle Andrade edits the show. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI 220099.